As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Pogel, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 82. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on the show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. We have another great episode for you today. But before that, readers, I have a favor to ask. If you enjoy this podcast, I would appreciate it so much if you could rate or even better review it on iTunes. Those ratings and especially reviews really help What Should I Read Next move up the iTunes charts, and that makes it so much easier for book lovers to find our show. We have a little giveaway going on right now to sweeten the deal. We're giving away five deluxe reading journal kits. That's the best-selling item in our shop at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash shop. Each deluxe kit includes a Leuchtturm 1917 journal in your choice of colors, a tin of book darts, which are one of my very favorite things, a few of my favorite pens, what should I read next stickers, and more. To enter, leave a review on iTunes. We will randomly choose five winners and each will win their very own deluxe reading journal kit. We may not be able to tell who you are based on your Apple ID, so stay tuned. We'll announce those winners in a future episode and share how you can get in touch with us. Here's how to leave a review. Open up iTunes. You can do that by going to whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash iTunes and clicking view in iTunes. Make sure to hit subscribe while you're there, then click or tap ratings and reviews. Rate the podcast with your star rating. We would, of course, love your five stars. Then click write a review to write your review as long or as short as you'd like. Click submit and you're done. Thanks so much for taking two minutes out of your day to do that. I really appreciate it. And of course, I hope you win. Today's guest is Claire Diaz-Ortiz. Claire and I have crossed paths in line and in person for years, and I'm so happy to have her on the show today. Claire was an early employee at Twitter. Her handle is at Claire, which is pretty cool, right? She's an eight-time author, which carries some weight around here. Fast Company even named her one of the 100 most creative people in business. That's an impressive resume, but when I think of Claire, I think of someone I'd love to talk books with. We started emailing book recommendations back and forth after we first launched What Should I Read Next, and a little over a year later, we got to talk books in person for today's episode. Today, Claire and I discuss what it means to be an obsessive reader, the way our personalities influence how we read, the value of a good copy editor, and Claire's very favorite genre. And I gotta tell you, I laughed out loud the first time she told me what it was. Today's episode was a challenge for me because I feel like Claire has read everything, but we made it through and had a lot of fun and a lot of book talk in the process. 
Let's get to it. Claire, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Anne. Well, I have been looking forward to talking to you for a long time. I feel like we've known each other from online for a while. I think we first, I think you started emailing me about books. <laughs> said, I listened to that episode, and let me just chime in here. And I've gotten some really great recommendations from you. I'm very good at stalking people, and I basically started listening to your podcast, I think, when Tish was on, because she you know, posted it on Instagram, and Tish Oxenreiter, The Art of Simple, and then I started listening and then I basically couldn't stop. And I think I've heard every episode. So yeah. And at some point I just had to start emailing you to, to tell you that I was, I was out there listening in the ether. <laughs> well, we will get your gold star in the mail right away. And yeah, thank you so much for all the good book recommendations, because you know, if you get good book recommendations from someone, they're automatically good people. Well, that's what I hope. Claire, you've traveled quite a bit. You've lived a lot of places. Where are you this morning as we talk? I am in my home in Argentina. We live right outside the capital of Buenos Aires with my husband, who is from here, and our three children, who I guess are, you know, bicultural now. <laughs> I'm from California originally. Okay. How long have you been in Argentina? My husband and I met when I was traveling, essentially. We met here about nine years ago, and we've kind of been on and off through some of my work in the U.S., back and forth, but more or less here since then and more sort of firmly planted the last few years. So, you know, and we're, we're, we're committed. We've got a, he's an architect. He built us an awesome house in a lake here. We've got kids in school now. So this is where we are. Mm -hmm. Now, when I think of your bio, I only have the rough version in my head. It involves Twitter, the internet, and lots and lots of travel. How, how am I doing? Yeah, that is that is very true. Um, all of those things are, are true things. Yeah, I, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an author of seven books. My my newest is is just out now called One Minute Mentoring with Ken Blanchard. And I kind of got my start running a nonprofit out in East Africa and then as an early employee at Twitter. Um, so those are kind of the things about me. And then the thing now is, you know, being a mom to three under three, three under three, and it's no joke. We'll get you a gold star for that too. Oh my gosh. What does that do to your reading life? It's, it's really, really changed things. Um, so I'm an obsessive reader and it's typically been my only hobby for a number of years and I'm really big on goals. And so for a number of years, I would set a goal to read, um, 200 books a year and, you know, I'd figured out exactly how many hours that would take me and it, it was totally manageable. And then when I had my daughter, that switched to 150. And this year with, you know, two baby twins, I, I was saying to my husband, like, wow, I'm really, really feeling it. So, you know, it's been four months into the year and I've read 20 books so far. So, you know, the numbers are the numbers are sliding downward, man. <laughs> and how does that make you feel, Claire? Um, it makes me sad, but I also think it makes it more important than ever to make sure that I'm kind of reading books I really like. Um, because I think that kind of when you start doing the kind of obsessive goal thing that I have the tendency to do in various areas of my life, you start to kind of read books that maybe aren't really giving you anything, right? They're not really, you know, entertaining you. They're maybe not teaching you anything. You're just sort of reading them because someone else liked them, but maybe they're not really for you. So I think this sort of uh, challenge of having all these little kids underfoot has made me really think about, okay, what's a book I'm going to love and, um, you know, how am I going to get my hands on it as soon as possible? What are you reading less of now that you're prioritizing more? 
Uh, I'm actually reading a lot less of sort of business nonfiction. I still, um, you know, my favorite category is basically the the memoir of kind of a stranger in another land type thing. And within that, I'd say my kind of subcategory is, you know, Mazungu in Africa. Mazungu means like white person. Um, and this is like, you know, my husband and I had barely just started dating when he figured out that this is like the book that I have read over and over and over again in my life. And I literally have shelves of them of, you know, strange white people in interesting African countries having disastrous adventures, essentially. And I love sort of this category so much that, you know, even I have a book about my own, you know, life in Africa as a white person. But um, in general, just that stranger in another land thing is the book that just, you know, makes me kind of go go crazy with excitement. Why do you think that is? What is it about that genre? I mean, I guess my whole life has been that, you know, I, I grew up in California, but basically since I left university, I've just kind of been living in a different country and I'm just so fascinated by, um, by what kind of that means from, you know, the practical stuff of what someone's house looks like if they're living in Kuala Lumpur to, you know, kind of like the, you know, deep stuff about what it means to be an expat or what it means to be an immigrant. And yeah, it's just that this kind of genre really, really makes my heart sing. And it really, really pulls me out of where I am where I am today and into sort of a, a new place, which I think is kind of what reading is all about, maybe. I can imagine that if you're reading on a topic that you know so much about and have experienced so much about personally, that not everything rings true. Well, I mean, and that's very, very true. And I think that I see that more often than not when I, you know, because there's only so many sort of travel memoirs out there. And I swear to you, I'll go into a store and I'll go to the like travel memoir section and I, I own like 80% of the books, right? So I was honestly scared to do this podcast with you because I was thinking, oh no, I'm sure she's going to recommend things I've read or that I own already. So because of that, I've kind of, you know, started to branch out into sort of more like novelized travely or, you know, far off land memoirs. And those ones are the ones most likely to, to kind of, um, not ring true, we shall say. Ooh. Can you think of any examples? Like what have you read where you've gone, um, your research was wrong and clearly you haven't done this yourself. You don't have to call out the book, but like maybe, maybe a situation that happened in it. Sure. So I think one of the sort of classic examples that I've read a few times in these types of books is, is just the way that a lot of times when, when people go to a new place, especially in a novel, things just seem like a complete, complete disaster. And I mean, that can be true, right? Moving to a new country or living in a place where you're not from can, can certainly be extremely challenging. But I find that in the novels, they make it seem much, much, much harder than it really is when it really in reality, it's something that, you know, people do every day all over the world, right? Whether you're an immigrant or an expat or a traveler or whatever you are. And so I think for me, I think I'm more interested in kind of the reality of it because the reality of it, the highs and lows is, is kind of the, the fun stuff, the fun stuff to read about at least. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting because so many things do go wrong in novels because that drives the plot forward, but you're more interested in a memoir that does talk about what life is really like. It sounds like that's why you're reading to kind of vicariously experience life all over the world without you going all over the world. Claire, let's back up. You said that you were an obsessive reader. Can you give us the paragraph version of what that means to you? 
Well, the paragraph version is essentially it is the only hobby that I have aside from like having children and running after the children, I guess. So I I just, you know, started to become really, really good at it. Good at, you know, reading, which is a pretty easy thing to become good at, I guess. What what does that mean to be good at it? Uh, Well, one of the downsides of it, it means you read really fast. And I actually think, you know, I've realized over the years, that's actually sort of a problem. I have to try to make myself read slower sometimes because I feel like I'm, I'm racing through, through books in a way that isn't necessarily positive. Um, you know, but I, I'm such a, I'm such a calculator and a tracker and I, I know, you know, how long it takes me to, to read an average book and an average page. And so how many hours a week I need to be reading to, you know, hit the number of goals of books I'd like to be reading that week or that month or that year. So, I mean, reading, I think I need to bring some more kind of levity to it because I think it's become, I mean, it's, it's not my job at all, but sometimes it feels like like it is at times. And so, you know, that's one of the kind of, I've shifted away from reading as many sort of dense business nonfiction books. And I think that's helped. But one of the the best things that has happened to me in the last year is listening to your podcast, because through it, I got so many more recommendations for novels. And because I'm not really a novel person. What's your Myers-Briggs type, Claire? Uh, INFJ which I don't know, people have said like, you know, after they talk to me for five minutes, that's people who are really good at that. They say after you talk, after I talk to you for five minutes, it's be, it's clear to me that that's what you are. <laughs> that's funny. Do you recognize other obsessive readers when you come upon them? See, I feel like I'm an obsessive reader, but I don't actually know how long it would take me to read a 300 page novel because I live in that sense of denial because I'm always telling myself less time. It, it won't take that long. That's not true. But do you, do you recognize these readers when you encounter them? How do you know you've spotted one? Oh, absolutely. And I, I totally think you are. And that's why this podcast to me was like this sort of, you know, you know, kindred spirit angel thing falling from the sky. It was amazing. And so many of the people you interview are also. And so that's really great. I really, really prefer the interviews when it's clear to me you're interviewing a, a sort of more obsessive reader or someone who really just, you know, can't put down their books. I remember um, this is sort of the the classic example of me kind of not understanding people who don't love reading. I remember one time, you know, flying into, I don't know where I was flying, but it was really early morning and I was waiting in some custom line, customs line and, you know, a customs line that can easily take 20 minutes, right? What are you going to do with your 20 minutes? And so I, of course, was reading. And again, it was really early in the morning. And so there was this couple in front of me and, you know, the woman turned around and and said to me, oh my gosh, how are you possibly reading so early in the morning? And I just remember looking at her and truly being totally baffled. Like, how are you not reading? You're in line for 20 minutes doing nothing, right? And so I feel like that's kind of the, the way I the way I see the world. And sometimes I don't understand folks that, that don't, that don't always need a book by their side or a book in their bag or a book in their glove compartment. All right, Claire, I want to hear about your books. So we're going to dive right in. You know how this works. You are going to tell me three books you love, one book you hate and what you've been reading lately. And we will talk about what you should read next. This was so, so hard for me. Um, and I, I feel like I, I listen to your show and people kind of go back and forth between whether they're going to choose books of all time or books of recent, books of late. So I kind of did a mix. But um, my first book is really one of my favorite books of all time. It's called Don't Let's Go to the Dogs Tonight, An African Childhood. And it's by Alexandra Fuller. And it's basically this story of, I mean, so Alexandra Fuller, I think was born in Scotland and then in the early 70s, her parents moved her and her sister down to what was then Rhodesia, um, now Zimbabwe. And basically, it's their story of 
living in East Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa during the Rhodesian Civil War. And the dad is like a he like works the land like he they rent. He's like a farm manager. So farms pay him to live on their farms and and work the land and and run run all the employees. And so in that capacity and because they're kind of chasing or running away from this war at times, but chasing it at others because the dad becomes a soldier, they end up living in a few different countries. So starting in Rhodesia, then like Zambia and Malawi, and then going back to Rhodesia. And I mean, first of all, she's a great writer. Um, but more than that, the story is just fantastic. Um, it is so, so funny and not in, I mean, many times in a laugh out loud way, but not because she's telling jokes by any means. Um, it's just, they're living a crazy life and it's kind of hard to imagine that people in the world are actually living the life she grew up living. I mean, her parents are these nutballs. Um, they're, you know, very racist in, in a time of extreme racial tension. They have lots of guns. They teach the girls to use the guns early on. The dad is, you know, um, as I said, he becomes sort of like a volunteer soldier in this war. Um, they, you know, smoke more cigarettes than, than, than I knew existed on the planet. They're constantly drinking, you know, cup after cup after cup of black tea, it's just she paints such a scene and the scene is so bizarrely different from certainly my world and I think most of our worlds. She has amazing titles, too. Have you read her other work? I've read all of them. I own like multiple copies of every book. I really love this author. Um, and the titles are so funny because, you know, as a you know, I'm a blogger, you're a blogger and we know something about copywriting. And I always laugh at her titles because they're because they're these incredibly long titles. And I'm always thinking, you know, how did Herbert Collins let her, you know, title title things that way, you know, like there's another one called cocktail hour at the tree cocktail hour under the tree of forgiveness. And then this one is a really good one leaving before the rains come. I think that's probably my favorite title of hers. But um, yeah, her titles are fantastic. Claire, I'm thinking you chose that because it so well represents your favorite genre. It does. I mean, it, it just is my favorite genre. And the fact that it's well written, because of course, when you have such a niche favorite genre, Anne, you're going to read stuff that is not well written. You're going to read that, you know, random Kindle thing that is on Kindle Unlimited that, you know, a first time writer wrote that hasn't been copy edited, right? You're going to be reading that as well. But this is such a treasure because it is written so well. Oh, I wish they were all like that. I wish I could find you one of these books that you haven't read, but I'm not even going to try. Just prepare yourself now. Okay. Claire, what's book two? So book two is, I don't remember if you've talked about it or if we'd emailed about it, but it's called Euphoria. It's by Lily King. It's a novel. And it's again, kind of this genre of novels that um, I really like, or I, you know, I'm trying to get more into these novels that sort of tell stories of other places, right? Because, you know, there aren't enough travel memoirs in the world, sadly. Claire, this has been on the podcast way back in episode 19. I recommended it to Brian Stabnick. And I think we emailed about it after that happened. Well, I think it's interesting because it reminds me, I mean, Euphoria and the people in the trees, which you've also talked about are the same sort of they're just the same. They're these novelized versions of basically anthropologists, which is fascinating that they both sort of came out within the last two years because they've both been, you know, big bestsellers or whatever. So I often think about that. And you've talked about the people on the trees because I always remember someone on this podcast said that they threw the book across the room at the ending. 
I remember that too. I don't remember who it was, but I remember that too. Yeah. So this book, Euphoria by Lily King, um, I really liked this. It's basically a, a novel loosely based on the life of Margaret Mead. So Margaret Mead was one of the most famous and also very controversial um, anthropologists. Um, so kind of an, an early cultural anthropologist in the 1930s. I went to graduate school in anthropology, so I'm super fascinated in you know stories, whether nonfiction or novelized about anthropologists. Basically, you've got this main character, Nell Stone, and she is, you know, what you would say is kind of the the fictionalized version of, of Margaret Mead. She's married to this other anthropologist, and she has just had this incredibly successful book published in the U.S. Um, in contrast, her husband has kind of been publishing, I guess, like boring stuff. And so he's very jealous of her career. And they are also having major fertility issues. And in the midst of this, you know, in the 1930s, they moved to New Guinea to start studying some native tribes there. And basically, they immediately encounter this other anthropologist who's also in the area, who is the narrator. Um, his name's Andrew. And he has, like, you know, has his own sort of host of issues. He recently came off a suicide attempt. And so it's kind of this triangle is what sort of starts the story. And it's basically a story about their time in New Guinea trying to make these big, profound discoveries. And the discoveries, if you know about Margaret Mead's actual life and trajectory in academia, you know, they have a heck of a lot to do with what really happened in real life. Um, and it's just a really interesting story. It's um, a definite page turner and, you know, some weird stuff happens and it's fascinating to read about. So I really like this book. I'm glad you like that book, but I could see how reading a book that's a fictionalized account of a real historical person's story could be fraught with peril, especially for someone like you who is going to notice all the details you got wrong. Did But that wasn't an issue with this one, it sounds like. Well, I, I was able to sort of stay in the air with it all, if that makes sense, or sort of realize that it was a novel. But I mean, let's be honest, I immediately, she has like a big list of work cited at the back or whatever, or maybe it's just in the acknowledgments. I'm not sure what it was. And there were like three books that really impacted her writing of Euphoria. And so then I went to go read those after. And those were, you know, super dense nonfiction stuff all about Margaret Mead. So I was very interested in kind of what had actually happened after I read this. But this was, I mean, let's be honest, more fun than like a dense biography of Margaret Mead. So, you know. Okay. But it does sound like you're able to suspend that part of your brain and not obsess over what they changed. And okay. Okay. Right. And I will say one final thing. This is not only similar to the people in the trees. It's also really reminds me in many ways of state of wonder, which I know people have also talked about on your show before. Is that one you've read? Yeah. Yeah. The Ampatcha book. And that book again, I don't, you know, I was okay with the ending, but I know many people, just like in the people of the trees, were very upset by the ending um, in State of Wonder. So it's kind of interesting. A lot of parallels. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, that is. I thought that was too obvious to put on my list of titles to maybe recommend to you. And then I just wrote it down and gave it a big highlight and crossed it back off. <laughs> okay, Claire, what's your third book? So my third book, I, I would be very surprised if many people... Um, listening have read this, I was really debating between two. So let me just tell you the other one I almost chose, which is a book called Super Better 
um, which is there's this famous TED talk, or it's one of the you know most more popular TED talks by Jane McGonigal. She's a researcher, and it's basically she studies how game theory can help you kind of develop more emotional resilience. So super better. I just want to plug it because I feel like it's kind of like the presence of 2017 or the present. I don't know when maybe presence was out in 2015, and so maybe super better is the the presence of 2016. But I almost chose that. But I, I thought maybe you mean like the Amy Cuddy book, like it's the book that's going to transform your life. Yeah. Yeah. The Amy Cuddy book presence. I feel like it's kind of like the presence of. Yeah. Like it's it's one of kind of the top five interesting sort of accessible self-helpy type books of the year. So I would I would give a plug for that. It's got some really interesting stuff in it. But I want to choose one that's a bit more kind of uh, under the radar. It's called New Slow City, Living Simply in the World's Fastest City. And it's by this um, international development consultant guy and professor at NYU named William Powers. And it's his fourth book. And I don't remember what in what order I read all his books, but basically he has a book about his time as a, you know, development dude in Liberia and then his time in Bolivia. And then he has a book called 12 by 12, where he goes to live in this like off the grid shack in North Carolina. And it's after that experience that then he writes New Slow City. And so New Slow City is all about basically him taking these interesting experiences of kind of trying to live slow and seeing how people live differently in the world with different levels of resources, because, of course, he's he's lived all over in very poor communities and he goes back to Manhattan and lives there. And I am such a, you know, I, I absolutely love sort of reading and writing about productivity. You know, this is one of the main things that I write about. And so this book was fascinating from that perspective, because basically what he does is he says, you know, I have these values. I want to try to live more slowly. I want to have a more, you know, balanced life, make more time for his, you know, wife. And, you know, then he ends up having a child, but he also wants to, you know, maintain a career that fulfills him. And so he goes through these really interesting experiments, kind of learning about how to live in community in a big city, how to live kind of with less, how to be more of a minimalist. And then when it comes to productivity, how to really think about, okay, how can I, you know, get way more done in way less time. And, you know, he, he switches his working hours. I'm, I'm probably gonna get this wrong, but he, you know, goes from a five day work week to like a two day work week at one point, And he talks about how he's able to do that and how he, you know, figures out a method that works for him. It's just a super interesting book. And I think it's great because you learn a lot from it, but it's written as a memoir. And I think sometimes these are kind of the best types of sort of, you know, how to or, or business see or inspirational self-helpy books out there, I think for me, are when they're written memoir style, because then you you like them and you want to keep turning the page. So I've read this book a couple times now and have just been super impressed with it and with his work in general. That sounds really interesting. Is this the same William Powers that wrote Hamlet's Blackberry? No. And that's what's so funny because, so again, going back to me, you know, stalking people, I, after I'd finished all his books, I was like, I've got to write this guy. I just like loved these books, you know? So I go and Google him, look online and I'm like, wait, what? Hamlet's Blackberry. Cause it totally sounds like he would have written that book, right? This guy is in slow living. And then, you know, doing some research, you realize it's a different guy. Um, so yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. That sounds super interesting. I haven't read anything by this William Powers, but uh, that sounds up my alley as well. Okay, Claire, what's a book you're not so crazy about? So I'm going to tell you about two of them, I guess. So one of them is Goldfinch, which has been talked about on the show before. Um, I, 
I, I would particularly say the entire middle section where they're like in Las Vegas doing drugs or something it's like completely unappealing. I don't even like, I, I think I also just like hate like drug stories. I think that's also a thing I have. Like I couldn't really handle Breaking Bad as a show, that sort of thing. So unappealing, not poorly written, not why did they publish this, just not for you. Yeah, yeah. No, like a total okay. plot issue, I would say. Did you finish it? I did. And I, and I do not know why, especially because isn't it like 700 pages or something? It's super long. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I don't know why I finished that. So that, but aside from that, I would say I really disliked, and this, again, I finished this and I don't really know why, but I really disliked everything I never told you, um, which I know some people on your show have really liked. And I think I was, so I think my problem with novels often is that I, I'm not really, if I'm not really into them, which I often am not, then I have no incentive to finish them. And so I don't, right? So what I've tried to do lately with novels is try to choose ones that have more kind of elements of suspense, because I find that then I'll probably be, even if I find things are unrealistic or whatever, I'll be more interested in finishing and interested and engaged as I turn the pages. And so this one had that element But then the ending I found absolutely, completely unfulfilling. And I was super bummed that I, you know, stuck it out for however many pages it was. Okay. So I'm thinking hard on how to talk about this without spoilers. Like, and here's the thing. When you write, if you're going to write a suspense book, and this is something that I couldn't do because I've, I've never written a novel. I wouldn't know how. Like all my books are nonfiction, right? But I think it's a huge, huge cop out in whether it's a movie or whether it's a book or whatever, if you don't have a, you know, a suspense book end with something like really dramatic in the ending also. And so that's my issue. Well, here's my theory. I don't think she was trying to write a suspenseful novel. I think she was trying to show you what, because, okay, everything I never told you, it has this omniscient narrator that tells you everything that happened, everything that actually happened, how that differs from what the family experiences or what they remember. You find out in sentence one that a girl has died and the family doesn't know yet. So I think what they're showing is how we don't really know the people we love. And this was marketed as literary fiction. I don't think this was, I mean, a lot of people said it was a page turner, but I don't think that's what she was going for, but it sounds like that's what you wanted her to be going for and that you didn't like what she was actually writing, the genre. Yes, that is, that is true. Okay. So not for you. I thought that book was cool because I liked the way she played with what was happening on the surface to what was truly happening in these people's lives. But I appreciated seeing that disparity. And if you didn't care, yeah, not the book for you. Of course, I didn't know that's what was happening going into it. And that's the trouble with choosing what to read next. Okay. Claire, what are you reading right now? The question I wanted to ask you 20 minutes ago. So um, I just finished a book, which is, I mean, I literally... My mother, my mother is going to Rwanda next year. And so she went to our local library in Berkeley, California and found this book. And I was absolutely stunned that this book could have existed and I didn't know about it. And she also found it at the library. These were like, you know, all these kind of startling facts altogether. So it's, it's, so I just finished it. A Thousand Hills to Heaven, Love, Hope and a Restaurant in Rwanda. 
it's by um, uh, a guy named Josh Ruxin, who's also like a development consultant. And basically he and his wife, they're American and they move to Rwanda and start a restaurant. And it's a super, it's just a great memoir. And I totally loved it, just finished it. And my mom and I are kind of newly obsessed with it. And my mom, she's going next year to Rwanda, you know, to do various things there. And she's totally adding on some days so that she can stay at the the restaurant now has like a guest house. And so I'm super excited for her. Is she going to go there? Is she going to stay there? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's going to stay at the guest house. So she added on a few days so that she can stay there. And she's trying to convince me to come. But, you know, I have these little kids. I don't think it'll be possible. But in the restaurant is called Heaven. Heaven. Yeah. And so just finished that. That was wonderful. And then I'm also reading, um, I, again, mentioning Tish Oxenrider twice, (laughs) mentioning her again. So I was listening to her podcast the other day and she interviewed a woman named Esther Emery who just wrote a book called what falls from the sky about spending a year off the internet. And so I'm like halfway through this and I'm super interested in it basically. Oh yeah. I've had that on my shelf for a while. So you're enjoying it. Yeah. It's, um, I've read a couple of these sort of like digital detox related books before, because I'm super interested in the theme in general. So this was, um, when I, when I heard Tish interview her, I was like, Oh my gosh, what a great book to read. I picked it up. Um, it's, I'm really liking it. It's not as much about, it's, it's honestly more about sort of her life than it is really about kind of the, the experience of being offline, which so far her life is really interesting. So I'm liking it. And then I'm reading a, um, I mean, this is incredibly dry, <laughs> like a, a full on sort of anthropology type textbook written by a professor, um, that I used to know many years ago. Um, she has a new book out and it's basically about, um, development workers and in other places and specifically Finnish developing workers in Africa and their kind of experiences, but it's like a, you know, published by an academic press. It's super dry. I, I, well, tell us what it's called. Oh, the need to help. And she, her name is Lisa Malky and she just has great, I, I have to, let me share a story about her. So she was a professor. This was like in, you know, the early 2000s, um, where I went to graduate school in anthropology. And, um, she told this story once that has always stayed with me about how, so she's from Finland and she has lived everywhere. And at one point she was doing her doctoral research in a refugee camp somewhere in East Africa. I don't remember where. And she was having a conversation with a, a young man who lived in the refugee camp about what his um, dreams were for the future, right? And I, I could be mangling the story because it's been over 15 years since I heard her say it. But basically, he was sharing his dreams and there was a third person in this conversation. So it was, you know, she, the researcher, he, the refugee, and a third party. And he was sharing that he, what he really wanted to do was go to university and study philosophy, right? And he's a a refugee in a refugee camp, right? What an interesting dream, right? And so she hears this and is very moved by it. But then the third party makes some comment about how that is the least practical thing this man could possibly do. And, you know, he really needs to be thinking about whatever, studying computers or, you know, going to a, a mechanical school and, and learning how to fix cars. And this moment, I guess, really impacted her as a researcher. She's someone who basically studies um, people who help others and the people who are helped, essentially, as an anthropologist. And this moment really impacted her because it made her see that 
a lot of times when we think about, you know, people who need to be helped in the world, um, and who are in situations like being a refugee in a refugee camp that we don't think that they can have dreams like that. And I just have always thought about that story because I think it's such a cool one. I like it. Okay, Claire, we've touched on this a little, but is there anything that you want more of in your reading life or that you want to be a little different? I I need to, need to. Don't say that, Claire. I want to. <laughs> I want to pick up more books that I don't want to put down. That's really my goal. I think I I, I spent a lot of years maybe with more time on my hands. And so I was able to have the luxury of reading something that I didn't really love, but I don't really have that anymore. And so I, you know, really want to make sure that when I'm reading, it's, it's really, you know, transporting me to, to another place or, you know, to another place in my mind or whatever it may be. Okay. We'll see what we can do. I feel like you've been very clear on what you love and I feel way intimidated by your mom who found a book in your beloved genre at the library in Berkeley. Of all places, right? At the library. I mean, my mom goes to the library every day, but every day we are having discussions about how, you know, she's number 21 on the hold list of whatever. So it was crazy that this book was there for her taking. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, I imagine it being on an end cap or something and it just catches her eye. Not, not that it was a featured new release someplace. That's why I think it's so amazing. Okay, so I am not going to try to recommend books that you have already found, but I am going to try to zero in on books either that might not occur to you because they're fiction or a different kind of memoir or that are cousins to your favorite genre. Awesome. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. First of all, I feel like since we've talked about Tish, we have to say that she has a new travel memoir called At Home in the World. Which I loved. I loved, loved, loved it. Okay. So you've already read it, so you don't need to know about it. But anybody else in this genre who loves travel memoirs is brand new about a 30-something. What's the African word that starts with an M? Mzungu. Exactly. Who takes her family around the world to places both um, not so inaccessible to Texans like London, and uh, places that definitely are more of a transition culturally, like Africa and Asia, Eastern Europe. Yeah, they went everywhere. Okay, well, almost everywhere. And she's super honest about it, which is great. I mean, there's this whole section in the book where they're in China and, you know, to make a long story short, it's not everything they dreamed. And she's so honest about that. And it's great. Okay. All right. See, I'm just procrastinating. Okay. Book one, I think you're going to be super surprised, but I think it's for you. It's The Kitchen House by Kathleen Grissom. What do you know? I don't know anything about this book, Anne. Okay. So Claire, this is not on the continent you're interested in, and it's not travel writing, but, but I think I've heard the backstory straight from the source on how Kathleen Grissom approaches her writing. And I think you all are bookish kindred spirits and that you would really resonate with her approach and what she's trying to do in her fiction. And I think she does really, really well. And we also have a stranger in a strange land situation going on here. Someone clearly out of place who needs to figure out how to deal. So this is not contemporary and it is not memoir, but I still think it's the book for you. So let me give you the rough outlines of the story. So we start with a seven year old Irish girl who was orphaned on the journey to America on the ship that was bringing her family 
to the South. So she arrives at this tobacco plantation in the deep South where she's basically an indentured servant. She's not a free person. And she's sent to live and work with the slaves in the kitchen house, which is where the title gets his name. So these slaves become her family. We experience life on the plantation through her eyes. So she is very much of this world, but she's a little like redheaded Irish girl. She's not of this world. And that's a really interesting tension. And what Grissom hopes to accomplish in her fiction is to make you experience that. And obviously the bigger picture issues that a story like this would would expose you to as a reader in a really absorbing, engaging, like tug at your heartstrings, but not in a sappy way kind of way. And I think if you want a book that a stranger in a strange land, keep you turning the pages that has a deeper meaning than just like, let's read a spy thriller. I think, I think it's worth giving a try. How does that sound? I love it. This sounds awesome. Yeah. And I like the like female lead thing. I love that. Yes. And then Lavinia grows up and there's a sequel centering around another character she grows up with in the kitchen house that is also quite good. It's called Glory Over Everything. And I believe that is it for her kitchen house series. It's just a two book series. You don't have to read them in order, but I think you definitely want to start with the kitchen house. In the next story, we have another stranger in a strange land set up, Glory Over Everything, from um, the perspective of a character named Jamie in Philadelphia that I think you would also really like for the same reasons. Okay. Have you read Born a Crime by Trevor Noah? No. No idea. Never heard of it. Okay. For book two, we're going to pull in a little closer to what you, <laughs> what, what all your shelves hold. Okay, Claire, I did want to ask, when you say that you have shelves and shelves and shelves, do your best to put a number on that. How many, how many travel memoirs do you have on your bookshelves? So I've counted roughly the books we have in our house we have about 2,500 books. We have like a huge, we have like a double library, um, in the living room. And I think I have, I would guess thinking of the number of shelves, maybe 300 travel memoirs. That's impressive. How many shelves is that? So each shelf is roughly 25 books. So it makes it pretty easy to count. <laughs> this is the kind of thing an obsessive reader would know. Oh yeah, I know. I mean, I just like lie on the couch and look at the shelves and then count them. And like, it's, it's ridiculous. Wait, what is it? Born a crime? Stories from a South African childhood. Yes. What? Never heard of this. Are you Googling? Yes. What? Have I, did I like, can I join the ranks with your mom now? Wait, Trevor Noah from the Daily Show? This is fascinating. Oh my gosh. That's, that's the guy. Whoa. Do I need to say anything? Are you going to read this? I'm, this is amazing. Is this new? It came out last fall, like right before Christmas. Whoa. This. Okay. I mean, yeah. Wow. Buying this. Awesome. Now, now. Stat. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. The audiobook is really good if you do that because he narrates and he is funny. You know, this is so interesting. You bring this up. So I, um, heard you say on a podcast sometime this year, I think you, maybe you said it or maybe a guest said it, that 
you know, making sure you listen to, um, like certain books are much better in audiobook basically. And so now I Google that before I buy a book and it has totally transformed things because oh, so I, glad. you know, it's so interesting. I'd never thought of it before. Again, I think this goes back to my like obsession about like consumption of the book and not like the experience. And so realizing now that like, oh, this would be a better experience listening in audio has totally transformed kind of the way I think about reading also, because it's so true. Well, he narrates this one. Okay. So I'll get this in audio. This is amazing. Okay. So let me tell you why it's called what it's called. So the full title is Born a Crime, Stories from a South African Childhood. And his, he can tell, he will tell you the story so much better himself. But in a nutshell, he has a black mother, a white Swiss father. They were not married, but it wouldn't matter if he, if they were married or not. Um, Just in the act of being a biracial human being, he was against the law. So that's his opening story. And he tells these, so these are all stories from his childhood and coming of age. And I think the contrast like really elevates this book because some stories are really, really funny. Like, you know, tears like streaming down your face while you're driving. And some are really, really sad and some are really poignant and some are like all three at the same time. So he talks about um, being a kid and getting in trouble with the neighbors. He tells some really funny stories about, uh, dating, getting thrown from a moving car during a kidnapping attempt, um, some taxi situations gone wrong, and then just everyday life in high school, um, which can also be poignant, endearing, and hysterical and deeply sad. Yeah. Wow. I mean, this, wow, what a find. Okay. Getting this right now. I'm so glad to hear it. Okay. And book three, surely you've read Circling the Sun or West with the Night. Yeah, one of my, you know, favorite books of all time is West with the Night. And so then have read Circling the Sun. Okay, excellent. So I'm definitely thinking the right way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so good. All right. I don't know what direction to go. We've just got one more slot. This is a throwaway. Who's your city? Richard, Florida. Three-star writing. Five-star info. I think you might enjoy it. How the place you live affects the <laughs> creativity, basically. Oh, really? That's so interesting you bring this up because... Oh my gosh. Okay. So I don't know this book, but I read another book six months ago that I would, I can't even remember the title, but I would describe it as like the happiness project for like living for like where you live. And it totally is it. This is where you belong. Yes. But you're recommending not that you're recommending who's your city, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So it must. Oh, okay. Well, probably it was, this is where you belong. And probably I read it because you recommended it is probably what happens. (laughs) Okay. So I read it. And again, I did that one on audiobook, and it was just fabulous. And it totally has like affected some of the ways that we've, we live in a, you know, in a great neighborhood here, but it's totally like there have been things I've done in the last six months that have made me feel so much more connected with my community and with my neighborhood as a result of reading that book. So like, what have you done? That's amazing. Well, the, the best thing I would say, first of all, I organized a a CPR class for the community, which I felt like I deserved all the gold stars on the planet for doing like, I had like newborn twins and I organized the CPR class and I basically had to tell all my friends at home because I, I just felt like I needed the gold stars. And then the other big thing is we, um, so in Argentina, uh, you know, you know, do you use WhatsApp and no, but we have something similar here. Okay. So WhatsApp is crazy popular in Argentina as it is in much of the world. And I think just not as popular in the U.S. for whatever reason, maybe because texting is typically free on people's phone plans. So 
we have a neighborhood chat and I've just become so much more present in it because I realize that it's all about people just trying to connect, which is very funny. And then the final big, big thing that I've done, which is still not completed is for my 35th birthday, my husband built me a tiny library. Oh, yes. Which so which we haven't put up yet because he says that the door isn't finished or something. I don't know. Um, you know, technical thing related to the hardware of the, the structure. And so I'm so excited about this because my parents have one on one of the streets, like in their neighborhood. And I really wanted to try it here and see if it works. So yeah. Will you be community? Will you be sharing pictures on Instagram or someplace where people could see? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I'm so excited about this tiny library. And as my husband says, he's like, you know, because we're worried that some like kid is going to come and vandalize it or something. And as I say, that would be very sad, but it would also be like a great moment for community engagement and intervention around the vandalism of the tiny library, you know, so. Okay. So let me tell you the general categories I'm debating. So we have a mother daughter travel memoir, but it is not Africa. We have a um, like modern classic kind of intriguey white person in Africa book. Or we have somebody getting kidnapped in Somalia. Oh, my gosh. Suspense. I mean, I like all three. I like all three. I think I've read the Somalia one. A House in the Sky? Yes. Okay. Did you like it? Really liked it. I mean, very, 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 very brutal. I like that you could, uh, that you could identify the, um, the title by my five-word description. Oh, yeah. Read that one. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, and it had a great cover also. Okay. Fiction or non? That sounded, that sounded impatient. Claire, do you want to go fiction? I guess let's go with the, I guess let's go with the mother daughter memoir. All right. You have chosen behind door number three, traveling with pomegranates by Sue Monk Kidd and Ann Kidd Taylor, mother daughter. She is best known for writing the invention of wings. Yeah, I read that. the secret life of bees. You've read those. I, I read Traveling with Pomegranate. <gasps> Did you like I it? Really liked it? Yeah, I really liked it and recommended it to my mom. I really liked it. Yeah. Okay, let's see if I get strike three here. Have you read The Constant Gardener by John Le Carre? I It's one of my favorite books. Yes. What? Are you serious? Yeah. The book, oh I mean, the gosh. movie is also, it's so funny. We were just, we just saw some, I don't know, it was some ad or something for the movie the other day. My husband was like, isn't that one of the best movies we've ever seen? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I think the movie is also very good. Oh, and she's so good. Rachel mm-hmm. Weiss, she's so good. Okay, what do you know about In Other Words by Jhumpa Lahiri? Oh, well, I've read this also. And I this was amazing because I loved her and then I was in Italy last year and saw that in a store and I was like, "What? She's doing nonfiction now?" And just the whole story about it is fascinating. And I, I spent four years in college studying in Italian. And so I tried to, but did it badly, tried to read it because it's amazing that it's published in two languages. Uh, yes, very meta because it's a book about translating and other things. I mean, but th- that is such a good book. It is such a good book. And just the story behind it. I mean, she's not writing in English anymore. This Pulitzer Prize winner. That's crazy. Okay. This is my last attempt before we go back to Hoosier City. What do you know about Little Bee by Chris Cleave? Oh, I, that's the, I read that. That's the Nigerian. <laughs> what did you think? It's really good. It's a fantastic. I love that book. What happened to not reading fiction? That was, I think that was when my mom read. I mean, my mom and I like read all the same books basically. And she said, you have to read it. So she reads a lot more fiction than I do. And if it's really good, then she will make me read it. But that one was fantastic. Okay. I'm going to try one more. What about 
Gorge, my journey up Kilimanjaro at 300 pounds. What? I've never heard of this. What? Okay. Well, it only took me 14 bucks. Well, no, the first two, you got great. And then you just struck out like four times, but four isn't bad at all, right? Which is so funny because I was sure that you would have read Born a Crime. No, I haven't even heard of it. And I haven't heard of Gorge either. Okay. So this is a different kind of journey to Africa because it's not so much everyday life, you know, let's go live with the people kind of thing. This is about a woman on a mission to do, she's going to climb Kilimanjaro, which is something lots of people do, but it's different than going to like live in Kenya for a year. You know what I'm saying? Okay. So this is by Kara Richardson Whiteley. The subtitle says a lot of it, like my journey up Kilimanjaro at 300 pounds. So the author's story is that her, she topped out at 360 pounds. She talks about the shame of coping with an addiction to food, which is how she describes it. And she decides that the only way to get out of this is to like set a huge goal for herself and do something amazing. So she decided that instead of waiting to do this thing she wanted to do, instead of waiting until she had reached this goal that had to do with her health and her weight, she would just do it now. So it's a woman on a journey in two senses. It has a very obvious like growth narrative that you so often find in travel memoir. A lot of a lot of times that sometimes people set off like, oh, I wanted to learn about myself and so I traveled. But sometimes people travel and end up learning about themselves and that's not the story here. But this is definitely a twin journey. Like she was doing it for herself as a as a very deliberate like I need something like this in my life. And she's talking about her emotional journey. And also she goes to Africa, Claire, and she climbs the mountain. How does that sound? That's so cool. I mean, that sounds fantastic. I'll get all of these right now. Okay. These are three really great books. Well, and four. You haven't read them yet, but we will see. So I'm hopeful. I think they have good potential for you. And I can't wait to hear what you think. Okay, Claire, of these titles, which do you think you'll read next? Um, I think the Trevor Noah book will be first, but yeah, that will be first. But uh, but the other two are, you know, equally, I'm going to request all of them at my library right now, see if any is available and then go buy the ones that aren't available right now, basically. That sounds great. I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks so much, Anne. Okay. Thanks for talking books with me today. Hey, readers. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Claire today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Claire and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 82, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. You can keep up with Claire on her website, clairediazortiz.com, and follow her on Twitter at Claire. That's right. It pays to be an early employee of Twitter. We'll put links to those and all of Claire's social media channels in show notes. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Rainer Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. 
What do you get when you take two childhood friends with a passion for unexplored history and a whole lot of booze? You get us, Queen's Podcast. And here at Queen's, we are spilling the tea on all kinds of women from history. From New Orleans voodoo queen, Marie Laveau, to Marie Antoinette, and everything in between. Each queen is paired with a cocktail recipe that will totally get you in the mood to hear the fun, dramatic, and juicy stories of fascinating women from history. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Cheers! At a time when change is constant and we are pulled in far too many directions, we need a way to stay present to life and to increase our ability to remain calm, think clearly, and maintain our well-being. Many studies indicate mindfulness improves our mental, emotional, and physical health. On a Mindful Moment with Teresa McKee, you can learn how to practice mindfulness and enjoy its many benefits. Tune in for guided meditations and to hear tips and advice from some of the most respected experts in the fields of mental health and mindfulness. The world truly can be a better place. It all starts with a mindful moment.